Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for another of the most intillating hours in finance radio. And I'm pumped to be here today. I, I was as, as I was explaining before I forgot how to talk. Uh, as I was explaining to the people that that the the show uh, the station up here in Seattle, where we've got that first three minute intro, I was just, I was explaining to them this is going to be a different show. First of all, the, I'm recording on Saturday the 2nd right now. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to be out of town this week, Thursday and Friday. I'll be working, but I'm doing some family, you know, got a family engagements that I have to go to. Uh, and we can't take the studio with us. So I was planning on recording on Wednesday. Uh, and and <laughs> people on 770 hang with me. I'll try to get through this quick. I already explained it to them. But I was planning on recording Wednesday, and I was at a child's birthday party. Uh, parents kind of had a wine, uh, a wine cocktail, you know, hors d'oeuvre kind of thing on the side. And and we hung out and chatted and things like that while the kids did the birthday party and the commodity topic came up and it was one of those conversations that opened a bunch of doors, went home and spoke to my wife about it at greater length and wrote down some notes and decided to come in Saturday morning and knock this out as inspiration struck. You know, you got to get those moments and you just want to take advantage of it. And I, as I was explaining in, in the three minute intro, um, you know, sometimes we have those conversations where, first of all, they're fascinating, right? I'm so close to it. It's, I, it's always interesting, and I probably don't do it enough. It's always interesting to have those conversations in detail at some length with people that don't have any knowledge of the situation at hand and that aren't in financial markets. Um, and, and it always ends up bringing up things that I hadn't really considered, right? Attacking it from uh, levels or, or trajectories or angles that I hadn't considered. And then it also reveals to me some holes in, in, the, in, in the conversations or the ideas that we're trying to project and that we're trying to relay on this, on this radio show. And, uh, and so I just, I, I kind of, like I said, I felt that inspirational twinge. And, um, and so this show... We're not going to do the interview that's planned. I, I'm going to air it later because we're going to do prop. We're going to this this special on commodities and not just energy. This special on commodities is probably going to be about a three to five week in addition to this. So so four to six week trip. And we're going to delve. We're going to bring in you know some guests that have been on before, some that haven't, to delve into different commodities and different sectors, different areas that are impacted. Because you know we talk about risk management all the time. I I don't think you could have a scenario or a market where that is more applicable than this. And for a lot of the reasons that we've discussed already, right? You know valuations, and then and then also. You know, the, the makeup of the market being so heavy in things that tend to suffer in periods of times that we're that, that it appears that we are in, right? Inflationary periods of times with rising costs, rising interest rates. That's the stuff that you are overloaded on. And then obviously we know the story on bonds. I've been bashing bonds since we got on the radio six years ago. But what's so interesting about this to me, and I've said it before, but but again, it kind of came out in this discussion where you realize, holy smokes, like as an investing culture, right? If that's if that's a thing, not only is this historic, I think what's happening here, because I think this is going to be a historic, historically violent turn. Meaning that I just think the excesses are so big in all corners of this issue, right? The market, the transition to an inflationary environment, um, the culture unrest that already exists, and then we're throwing commodity shortages and food shortages and energy shortages on top of it, right? It's just, it, it, 
it's just metastasized to a level that we really haven't seen, not just in our careers, but, you know, in a lot of ways, I think really the only comparison to what we're about to go through is kind of the Great Depression. It's just on the other end of it, right? It's, it's, it's material shortages, right? It's, it's food shortages. All, it's all these things. People are like, well, there were bread lines. Well, that was from abject poverty. And then you threw upon it, you know, the Dust Bowl scenario, which did cause some issues, no question about it. But I, I think it's going to be a very, like I said, I, I, you know, not perfect, not a perfect example. You know, look at the, look at the geopolitical unrest, I, I, you know, World War II, right? Um, I, I think the parallels are really similar. Now, I'm not saying that the economic carnage is going to be as big. This is not, you know, the sky is falling. I don't think you're going to see an 85% market drop, okay? But what people need to start waking up to is there, there are things worse than an 85% market drop. Right? Like what? Well, like food and fuel prices rising 150 to 200 percent in, you know, 12 to 24 months. Right, the impact is can be every bit as bad, if not worse. So I wanted to take this show to set up this deep dive that we're going to do, and not just deep dive interview. And, and and by the way, that will probably be the deep dive segment. You know me, I've got a big list of a bunch of different things that we want to get to in this show before we set it up, before we get these, you know, experts in individual parts of this discussion, right? Food and grains is going to be one of them, uh, you know, uh, raw commodities. Um, I want to separate that out and look at nuclear and uranium as a separate one. Um, then we want to look on, look at knock-on effects, Right, So things down the road like fertilizer that are impacted that we've discussed. We really want to look into each one of those and, and look at the severity of the shortage and, and sort of game plan or war plan You know how, how you see these things playing out so we can kind of get our fingers on where the pressure points and all of this is going to be. And then also, guys, you know where the investment opportunities are. And, and I don't say that as, hey, let's profiteer off of the hardship of the world. I say it as in let's risk manage. Let's make sure that we are protected. And the only way to protect ourselves from this stuff or from these, from these types of events or these types of cycles is to buy the things that are impacted the most. Right? And quit thinking about it as profiteering. Hey, we think there's an energy shortage. You know what we're going to go do? We're going to go buy some energy and stuff like that at today's prices. Right? It's, it's, we're not profiteering off of it. We're preparing. And I think that that's a big aspect of investment. It's preparation. Right? Investments aren't supposed to pay us back in 60, 90 days. You know, and it, it's, it, it's just interesting to me. To, so anyway, we'll get into this. But first and foremost, so th- it's, like I said, this is going to be a six to four week journey that I want you guys to come on us with, come with us on. We will have market updates. We're not just going to talk about this, but the deep dive segments and then at least one or two segments in every show for the next six, four to six weeks is going to be dedicated to this topic. And I think it marries right in, like I said earlier, with risk management. Meaning that, you know, this gets back to why we do what we do. And this also gets back to what is so different about our firm than the average advisory firm. What are you paying a fee for, right? You're paying it so professionals like me and other advisors can come to you with these issues and say, hey, do you see the inflation that's going on? You go, yeah. And he goes, well, we need to do something about it. And you're sitting there going, yeah, probably, huh? And, and what do you think we should do? Because that's sort of your job. Well, hey, now, and this is the conversation that should happen, Okay. And tell me if you've had this conversation. Well, you're the professional, so what should we do? Well, you know what we've been doing? We've been spending about the last six months deep diving into this whole scenario, trying to figure out the answer to that question. And we've got some answers. And then you go, okay. And then in your back of your mind, you're going, fantastic. That's why I pay you a fee. Right? If you haven't had that conversation, guys, why? 
right? If you're listening to this show, you must see some of the problems we're talking about. If you buy gasoline or food, whether you know it or not, you see the problems we're talking about. When there is something financial that is going on that literally impacts every part of your life, if you want to know, hold on, let me back this up a little bit. If you want to know if you're getting value for the fee you pay, here's a little litmus test, right? If everything you touch financially and monetarily is getting more expensive, everything, and it's getting more expensive at a, a historic rate, not, not a historic record high rate, but at a pretty healthy clip, right? At the very least, considering the difference, right? And, and, and maybe you're still a mutual fund bond guy, a traditional guy. Well, I've done it all these years and it's worked. Maybe I know we still have guys that listen to the show that, that are like that, and that's fine. But I want, you to, I want you to ask yourself a question. If everything you touch monetarily is going up in price, and if you look at the state of the world where globalization is breaking down, right? Company, countries are retracing, right? They're pulling back inside their own borders. People are, what are you talking about? Repatriation of pharmaceuticals and PPP out of China is a perfect example. Right? People are moving their manufacturing base. Right? Why they have them in China to begin with? Because it's cheaper. Right? Everywhere you look in the world, you see things happening. War, conflict, disputes. Everything is making things cheaper or more expensive. Right? When you see a sea change like that occurring, shouldn't the thing that is supposed to financially provide for you for the rest of your life, shouldn't it change to reflect a tidal shift of that magnitude? And if it doesn't, that's your answer. Are you getting value for the fee you are paying? Absolutely not. And like we've said a million times, guys, it's not that I don't think those investments can work. They have in the past. I don't think that the average mutual fund or ETF strategy is going to work going forward. Why? Because it's built for a low growth, low interest rate environment, expensive tech and bonds. It's really simple. This is not, this is not subjective. This is objective. Right? Everybody's like, hey, Zach, why is the 60-40 portfolio proliferated so widely? Because it worked. Because it was the perfect portfolio for that environment. We ain't in that environment anymore. This ain't your grandma's economy. It certainly isn't your grandma's market. So if you want to know if you're getting value for your fee, if you haven't had a conversation or a, a shift in your portfolio, then the answer is no. And by shift... I don't mean allocating 8% to XOP as opposed to 2. XOP is an energy ETF if you, if for all those of you that are wondering. What are you paying for? And, 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 and I'm going to reiterate this again. If you're going to stay in that classic stock bond portfolio, now, is, now, is the per, now you have to do that. You need to switch to E-Trade and quit paying an advisory fee and save that 1% to 1.5%. That's part of how you're going to combat inflation if you want to keep that same portfolio. Right? And, and if you want to go that route, that's fine. But what you really need is risk management. What you need are people that are dedicating their time to how to grow and preserve your wealth and how to do it in such a way that they're not going to torpedo you if things change, right? Because that's the other dynamic that we got to think about. It is entirely possible that this problem isn't as acute. Now, I don't really see how that is, but it's entirely possible that this, this issue, this shortage, this lack of, of foresight from elected officials, regulatory errors and, and, and misallocation of capital, it is possible that it's not as acute as we think it's going to be. And it's also possible that it's not as long-lived, right? So that's the other part of risk management. The art, if you will, is how do we manage that risk and account for it without torpedoing the performance of the portfolio or the client's finances in the event that we're wrong? I think I've told you guys this before. I've had people all the time, hey, Zach, I've been listening to your show for a really long time. You're a smart guy. You know what's going on. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I like the rest of the things you guys do, but I just want to be in your value portfolio. I, just, I see the world like you see it, and, and that's good for me. And I go, absolutely not. And they go, why? And I go, because one of the reasons we use other parts of the portfolio is to insure you against me. Because in case I make a mistake, because this, this firm isn't built on my ego, I'm going to have bad years. And when I have a bad year, it can't upend your retirement, right? You need to be even insulated from me. And, and those risks need to get managed. So that's, I, I'm, I, and that's not a plug for the firm, but, but I hope you understand what I'm saying is that, that that advisory fee that you're paying, it should pay for stuff like this. It should be paying for extra research and looking at, you know, what, how do we do this and how do we protect? You know, the, the whole game now has turned into selling a stock and bond portfolio. That's the whole focus. How do we sell the stock and bond portfolio rather than going, wait a second. Why don't we, why don't we get a client, right? Rather than trying to sell our portfolio, why don't we get a client and then build a portfolio around them, right? Why don't we sell the client on our process and how we think and how we do things and then also promise them, hey, this is what we're doing now. And as things change in the world, you're going to hear from us and we're going to research those changes and we're going to shift to make sure that your portfolio always reflects what is really going on and isn't just the end result of our business, right? Isn't just the product we sell. And I, that's so that's what we're doing. So. First and foremost, before we get into this, and I break this into smaller parts, I want to bring up something that I call the whale oil fallacy. Okay, and many of you have heard me go off on Kathy Wood, uh, state, Kathy Wood's statement. She manages the fund ARC, which is kind of the poster child of what we see being wrong with this market. These crazy tech stocks with very few, if not no fundamental valuation with sky high valuations on paper. But she re- she referred to oil as whale oil, saying that you know whale oil used to be used back then. They'd kill the whales, they'd use it to for for lamp oil, and whale oil went away. And she's like, oil will be the same way. Um, so I, I'm starting to refer to this as the whale oil fallacy, meaning that when, when you see an example like that, and you have a narrative that runs counter, right? So you're all tech and innovation. You you, you really don't. You know, coming from Kathy Wood, you don't ascribe anything to commodities. You don't have any commodity exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Whale oil is a really convenient anecdotal story to tell to kind of justify your position. But whale oil disappearing, I kind of put it up there with buggy whips, right? In the in the in the teens and the twenties, you know, before the Great Depression, the buggy whip companies that went out of business because the advent of the uh, of the automobile. Um, I call those fallacies or the whale oil fallacy because that's not what typically happens, right? What typically happens is things change. A good or a commodity isn't needed as much. It declines in price because, right, it's not needed as much. And because the price goes down, investment falls off and there becomes less and less of it. And the price drops to a point where that thing can be repurposed and used for something else. And round and round we go. And then because it's repurposed, there is investment. And interest grows again, right? And it comes back around. You know, think of gold and silver. Right? They've been in in and out of style at times, but they've they've never gone away. Right? Since we started using petroleum, we've had all kinds of different moves in the markets. Will we always use petroleum? Yeah, to some extent. Plastic, there's all kinds of applications that are wonderfully useful. But this whale oil fallacy is taking this one thing that vanishes and goes, that's the way it always happens. Creative destruction. Yeah, it's going away. We're getting rid of oil. That, 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 in my opinion, is to build the rule off the exception. You're putting the cart in front of the horse. That's not what typically happens. And this is where I wanted to look at it through the lens of my own career. When I got into the industry, we were smack dab in the middle of the real estate boom, right? And you couldn't sell a tech stock. Nobody wanted them. Why? Because you're coming off the 99 collapse. 
and you had big overinvestment. You had, you know, companies going left, you know, belly up left and right. People doubting the, you know, the, the efficacy of, you know, it's crazy to think of it now, but doubting whether we'd ever see a real use, right? Paul Krugman saying that the internet would be no more impactful than the fax machine. Um, and there were still a lot of doubters at that point. And we were still trying to learn how to soak up or deploy the technology that was, that was, you know, coming our way. And it was all about commodities. And that was even true after the financial crisis. Nobody really remembers that. Nobody was buying up, you know, Apple and Google like it was going out of style in 2008, 2009, 2010. I don't even know what the performance of the company stocks were. I'm assuming it wasn't that great. I could be wrong. But what I'm saying is it wasn't headline stuff. The fang had not been invented at that point yet. Amazon was still just considered a stupidly overpriced negative cash flowing entity. And then what happened? Right, Because of this real estate boom, we overbuilt in commodities, we overbuilt in energy, all that kind of stuff. We had all this excess supply, and boom, the financial crisis happens. You know, Biggest hit to the economy since the Great Depression. Now, all of a sudden, aggregate demand drops. All that stuff that we'd been investing in wasn't needed. At the same time, you have a technology boom. We're beginning to use and utilize the incredible things that we were unearthing that gave birth to the tech bubble. The tech bubble wasn't wrong. It was just really early, right? And then capital started chasing tech because innovation can keep cranking regardless of underlying growth, right? Even though the economy was horrifically sluggish, remember all the talk of double dip recessions? We didn't come you know, rolling great guns out of the financial crisis. There was a lot of scars that took years to heal. I don't even think the S and P got back to its previous record until like, was it 2014, 2015, somewhere in there? Maybe it was even 2016 It's somewhere in there, but it took a long time, you know, like seven years, eight years. That's not long. Historically, you know, market's been negative for 25 years coming out of the great depression, 29 to 54. But just saying, you, you, you could see it in my own career. And so what happened? All the money was being made over there. There was no real aggregate demand on commodities, so they were just kind of flatliners. You had the precious metal boom coming out of the financial crisis. They kind of peaked in 11, and then just it'd been a nuclear winter since then. And it still really hasn't changed. And this is kind of a microcosm of what markets do. And when we're managing portfolios, we have to be aware of that. Because the majority of the time, we're not going to be in these places. We're not going to be in the transitional places where, like we are right now, right? Where we're transitioning from this kind of static homeostasis that has existed for the last 40 years, really, with low inflation and low interest rates. And now we're moving to an inflationary situation. It's a completely different ballgame. And if you stick with us through the break, we got to take a quick break right now. But if you stick with us through the break, we're going to start talking and unlocking how it's a different ballgame and where we go from there and how to think about it. As always, you can give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, boardcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond 
replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Okay, so before we cut off at the end of the last segment, and again, this is our commodity special. I'm laying the groundwork for the conversations that we're going to have over the next four to six weeks because I do not think that there is a more important topic to be discussing right now. I do not think that there is a topic financially to be discussing that has the potential to have a bigger impact on your financial life. Um, And to me, you know, we are all about risk management and this issue is front and foremost in our minds, right? Because it has to be because it's that critical. And we were explaining how my own career shows the way that cycles move, right? So, when I got into the business 0405, it was all commodities. It was a value-driven market. The banks were the number one value, you know, top performing stocks. And oil, you know, 2007, oil got up to 140, 150. Commodities were booming. Gold was going. Copper was, you know, Dr. Copper. Copper's going strong. All right? Then we hit the financial crisis and boom. Okay? And it's the worst financial unraveling since the Great Depression. And the scars and the impacts, we all know we lived through it, right? The scars and the impacts lasted for, you know, the better part of the next decade. And and as a matter of fact, we've never returned to normal, right? And so what we had now was an unprecedented slow decade of growth. And you guys have heard me talk about this. Like, what are you talking about? Again, real growth rates during the last, you know, from 2009 to 2019, 2010, 2020, real growth rates, so GDP minus inflation were lower than they were in the Great Depression. And yet, market goes up 400%. A lot of that has to do with the Fed, but we're just looking at the web. I've talked enough about the Fed. I want to focus on the way markets work and the way cycles work and how it impacts your investing. Because of that low growth and the buildup in commodities that happened leading into the financial crisis, we had more mines, more production, more timber mills than we needed. Right? People quit building houses like on a dime. Right? So what happened? Mines shut down. Timber mills shut down. Meanwhile, the Fed's printing money. Where'd that money go? It started pouring into technology. Why? Because innovation can happen regardless of underlying demand. Right? How? Well, you look at a lot of these things, a lot of these innovative, you know, technology uh, companies and products and Product suites, they they are aimed at businesses and they increase efficiency and lower cost, which is perfect for a low growth environment. But the biggest thing that happened was coming off that boom, right? Coming off the big, and and, and it kind of makes sense, right? Kind of poetically, it rhymes, certainly, poetic justice. You come off of that that, that overinflated boom and then you you come out of the financial crisis and you overcorrect. You don't invest at all in those things. And then there's the markets doing their work, right? As those things don't do anything, as those commodities never really got off the mat, post the financial crisis, like I said, out, except for the precious metal run that you had in from, you know, the, uh, you know, oh, the market bottom in 09 to, to 2011, commodities really didn't rally that much. Oil had a good little run there for a little bit with the whole shale thing, but they overbuilt that and boom, it imploded really quick because there wasn't strong enough growth. And so the market reversed itself. Now it's pivoted clear over here to the other side of things. Right? And you've had, again, negative investment. Now, one of the things that we had talked about is that we believed that, and, and it's funny because it looks very much like this is the case. We believed that the unprecedented monetary interventions by the Fed and central banks around the world post the financial crisis, what we believed was that that type of intervention would really elongate cycles, so make them much longer than they otherwise would, but would make the excesses and buildups much larger than they otherwise would, therefore making the turns, right? 
when, when, when that cycle naturally comes to an end and we move into another cycle, making that turn even all the more violent. And I think that that is what we are experiencing right now. And the reason we thought that it would elongate cycles is because what does the Fed do? If you think about it, monetary policy is about the preservation of the status quo. Because when things start to quake or repo markets start seizing up, right, what it's telling you is that there is an underlying problem in in, in the economy. And much like the modern medical system or much like the modern pharmaceutical industry, monetary policy treats symptoms, not causes. Right. So these disruptions that would otherwise, you know, typically be like the first domino falling after three or four dominoes hits, the Fed hands come in and stops it. And then it props those other dominoes up and keeps it rolling until the excesses get so big that even monetary policy can't stop it. What's an example of that? Inflation and commodities. Why? Because you can't print commodities. Right. If if you if you attack inflation the way we typically would, which is jack up interest rates and suck money out of the economy, because you've built up so much debt, you'll collapse the entire bloody economy, which is what you've been trying to prevent for the last 15 years. So that's why we said the Fed and other central banks would paint themselves into a corner. And that's exactly what's happened. Now you're seeing a scenario in energy markets and commodity markets that really is unlike anything we've seen before. The turn is more violent. Have we ever seen a period of time where oil has gone from, well, A, negative? No, I mean, right? Oil never been negative until this cycle to 130. I mean, look at how fast that happened. If that isn't increased volatility and violence and moves, I don't know what is. So this has caught a lot of people off guard. This is sort of what we've been looking for. And like I said, those turns, because of their ability to preserve the status quo and essentially sanitize current conditions, they can they, they, they actually make these turns so much more violent because, right, what you'd ideally want is you want things – we were talking – in the interview that we did with Pinecone Macro and Doomberg, we were talking about why people were freaking out over $110 oil. And Chase Taylor, Pinecone Macro, Chase Taylor brought up a great point. He said it's rate of change. It's the rate of change that's shocking people. And I think he's 100% correct, right? Because ideally what you want to do is, is you start seeing these problems in the financial markets. They tell you things are a little overbloated. You start taking peeks around and you start going, you know what? We really haven't invested in energy. And then people kind of start getting into that or commodities or whatever the case may be. And then these shifts happen and all of a sudden there's kind of a wake-up moment. Maybe you have a little recession or whatever, but the process has already started. What, but what, what has happened, right? That, none of that has happened because of central bank policy. You had to be on the stuff that they were inflating or you didn't perform, right? As a money manager, you had all your assets pulled from you. If you weren't rocking big tech for the last five years, you probably don't have any clients left. And if you do, they're really loyal, <laughs> You know, as a guy running a value fund, we've got some exposure, but I can tell you it's been tough and we've fared a lot better than most. We've actually put up decent returns by God's good grace. But it just exacerbates everything and that's really what we're looking at here. But I think it's a great learning opportunity because not only will we figure out how to deal with this situation, but I think it will give you a look into the way markets work. I've heard people say cycles no longer exist. No, right? That's not true. Like I said, I just think they're being very much elongated by central banks. And how do we feel so confident that cycles still exist? Because human beings haven't changed. Right? Human beings haven't changed. Right? They're gonna they're gonna go, they're gonna go where they think easy money is. And the things that they should be doing, right? It's like the grasshopper in the ant, right? What we should be doing goes back to Paul. What I should be doing. I don't do, and what I shouldn't do, I do, and oh, this body of death. Nothing's changed. And as long as human beings are human beings, you're going to have cycles. They'll overinvest in things that we don't need. They'll underinvest in things that we're about to need critically. It's just the way it is. 
So I think it's a really good opportunity to look at that cyclicality. It's also to look at those things and always know that tomorrow isn't forever. And investing, it's so important that we keep that in our mind. Oh, it's never going to stop. Wrong. And typically when you say that, you've probably identified some good shorts. Usually. Right? So... This is where, as investors, we got to play the what's next game, right? We got to look at things and go, okay, what's next? My dad used to tell me, Zach, don't just think about this issue. What comes after that? Once you do that, what's next? And then what happens? And then what happens, right? Thinking a few orders of effect down the scale, right? Moving down the line. Skating to where the puck is going. I hate that expression, but it's true. It just gets overused, right? Um, <clears throat> so... What we're going to delve into now, we've already done a ton of this with energy, but energy is a great starting point because it perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about. And to me, it is the kind of the fulcrum of this whole issue, because on top of this natural cyclicality, on top of this natural market action, right, you've also had unprecedented political pressure on this one issue, right? And that has exacerbated the imbalances absolutely exacerbated the imbalances. And because of that constant monetary intervention, you know, central banks were able to kind of neutralize that, 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 that realization for way too long. But most importantly, not even neutralize that. Their actions were so stimulative for other assets. Think of crypto, right? All that money left over here and just kept leaving over time and flowing over there. And bloating and building up and overvaluing and doing all that stuff that we're talking about. And then as it does that, it just keeps attracting more capital. It's like, a, it's like an economic black hole. So we're gonna, we got to take another quick break, but I'm going to get into that now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the different segments that we're going to address. I'm going to give a little summation on each one of them. But I want to give, again, this is supposed to be like a primer for the next four to six weeks. Okay. And as always, guys, if, if, First of all, if you want people that are actually actively managing your money, if you're tired of calling up during a COVID and going, hey, we're down, market's down 36%, the economy's collapsing, what do we do? And they just say, just ride it out. We're like, well, they were right. Yeah, no, no, they were right. But wouldn't you rather have not been down 36%? <laughs> right? If you haven't had these conversations about inflation, do you think that that's a, right? How do you, if you haven't had these inflationary conversations, let alone pivots to the portfolio in a meaningful way. People are like, well, how do you know it needs to pivot? Guys, we got 8% CPI for crying out loud. The landscape of investing is changing right in front of your face. And if you want deeper thought, if you want people that are in there recording stuff like this on the weekend, if you want people that are constantly looking out at the world, trying to figure out what is going to be a problem and how we can A, protect our clients, but B, also profit from it, Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. And I am deadly serious. This is like a mission of mercy. And I'm not saying we're the only, guys, I'll reiterate. I'm not saying we're the only game in town. We're not. But if, if there has ever been a time to seek out active managers that are looking at these things, it is now. Your financial life, in my opinion, is going to be tremendously impacted by it and the portfolios that the vast majority of you had are literally the inverse of what you need it'd be like hey if you wanted to design a portfolio that is really going to get trounced over the next decade how would you do it and i'd be like go long big expensive tech companies and on the other side of your portfolio own bonds right and that's what you got You're like no no i own etfs and mutual funds go look at what's in those etfs and mutual funds Really expensive tech. Why? Because that's the only thing that's worked. And if you didn't have it, nobody invested. And if you realize that, if you want deeper thought, if you want somebody that's actually earning a fee, if you want people that are actively managing your money and that are keeping, you know, that are making sure your portfolio is down six and a half during COVID as opposed to 36 like the market. If you want a portfolio that's up three to 5% this year, and, and it's... Some client, there's a range. Our typical clients up overall about, you know, two, two and a half, somewhere in there. Market's down five, six. Right? That's, that's what you're paying a fee for. Are you getting that? 
If not, guys, give us a call. 866-779-RISK. It doesn't rope you into anything. We'll compare what you currently got, show you what we do, how we do it, what the price is. Boom, boom, boom. Here you go. Give us a call if you'd like to become a client. We've had people take our stuff back to their current financial advisor and had them implement it. Now, I kind of felt like that was a hose job. But, I mean, my point is, is you don't, you don't need to you know, sign away your firstborn for us to tell you how we do things. Some of it's actionable. You can do it on your own. Anyway, just give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, The Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why? Because of all this money printing and the fact that we're still at zero interest rates, it's likely to create some serious inflation. And inflation crushes bonds. If your portfolio has a significant portion in bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy now. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy that shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still seek market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost. Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Okay, don't have a lot of time left, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this. Uh, We've spent a lot of time on the energy topic, and I was just teasing that uh, at the end of the last segment. So I'm really not going to go deep into that. We've done plenty on it. You can go back and listen to our other shows, radio pod, you know, just Google Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Comes right up. Um, But the energy really is, is is ground zero for all of this, just because, like I said, it's also been the target of, you know, essentially 50% of the political establishment, if not more, 55, 60% of the political establishment for the last, you know, 10 to 12 years, uh, energy companies become evil. So you add all that onto the natural cyclicality, extraordinary central bank policy, all that kind of stuff. That's where the really, the big imbalances are guys. And there's so much nonsense about this. People, again, people are still shocked. I'm still shocked at the lack of visibility or the lack of transparency I shouldn't say transparency, but I'm still shocked at how few people see this problem for what it is and think that I, I had a conversation with a guy at that at that dinner the other night. He's like, well, yeah, but, you know, prices can't last here. And he goes, I agree. And he goes, you know, it's, we're probably going to be looking at $50 oil pretty soon. I looked at him, I go, what? And he goes, well, you know, when oil goes up like this, you know, they're they're drilling like crazy right now. And I looked at him, I go, mm, that, that, uh, they're not. And he goes, oh, yeah. And I go, no, 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 that, they're not drilling like crazy. I, I don't know where you're getting that. And he's like, really? And, and, and why do they think that? Because that's always been the way it is. And it's just not that way anymore, right? A lot of things have changed. But no, you've got oil at 100 bucks, and, and, and you'd, right, usually the, the shale field would be loaded. Right? Drill rigs would be fire right now. They're not yet. Why? Because of all the political uncertainty. Drilling restrictions, and it's not all policy. Most of it's just economic, meaning like we've talked about it. Investors don't. Why? Because it hasn't worked. It hasn't made money. Like, oh, no, it's divestment. Nonsense. Well, you, is, is the divestment of big corporations and big funds holding down these things right now as far as energy stocks and, and, and commodities are concerned? Sure. Will it last? No. <laughs> I mean, the buying's going to come. And I've said this for a long time. Wall Street's morality extends as far as the chart does. Right? When they underperform because they're not invested, you'll see that change. And you're already starting to see it. Hedge funds are grabbing it. You know, when, when pension fund, I mean, think about that. Think about the underfunding problems you've got in pensions right now. And what are they all getting rid of? They're getting rid of their, their energy and commodity stuff. It's pretty amazing. Um, another big one, guys, though, is metals and, and mining. Um, 
I can just tell you as people, as an investor in, in metals and mining companies for, you know, 15 years, it's been a new, a nuclear winter. It's so hard to get capital. Nobody wants to put money in the ground, right? That is like the opposite of a social media platform for God's sakes. That isn't a SaaS company, software as a service. What about cloud computing? That's the kind of commodity we need, right? And you can just see it in the anecdotal attitudes. And what, what you know is when you look at a situation like that, that that sector is being horrifically under, underinvested. And when you shut down mines, guys, finding commodities and bringing them to the market, it takes more than a decade to find it. You know, once you find a deposit, getting it up and running, getting that, you know, to where you start making revenue takes upward of a decade. You can't just turn these things on. And, and it's just something we've completely ignored. What about the other scenario? And I think this is, we're already starting to see it. Um, but I, I don't even, I don't even think we're close to it. But look at rare earth metals and how, and how key rare earths are proving to be in the move for green energy. And I think that that's a really interesting thing. Because one of the biggest problems green energy has is cost efficiency, and a lot of the things that are being the most impacted by this inflationary surge are base metals and rare earth metals that are needed for green energy. And, and, and it's sort of like, you know, the reverse problem with oil, which is the government is subsidizing that, right? The government is creating demand out of thin air. And yet nobody wants to invest in the things that are going to be needed for the supply chain of this electric vehicle demand that the government is artificially jacking through the roof. And that's why you see, you know, neodymium. It's a rare earth metal used to make magnets. It's up like 1300% in the last four, uh, in the last like six to nine months. Right. Nickel. We've all heard about that. But you palladium, you look at all these different things, cobalt. You know, just like we've said, if you if you reach their electric vehicle goals, you'll collapse the grid. More importantly, you know, the cost of these things is going to go up to a point where, you know, uh, even if you've got one hundred fifty to two hundred dollar oil, oil, all in all, it's still going to be way cheaper with, a, you know, an, an internal combustion car than it is an electric vehicle. It's just this era of magical thinking. It's like we've had third graders running things, meaning, hey, if you're going to turn trillions of dollars of demand on for this industry, don't you think you should be worried about this other end of it too? Oh, no, that's a problem for the next guy, right? Then, then we're going to spend time going into the, the secondary impacts, right? The knock-on effects, right? Food and grain. And that's another one that is shocking to me. And, and, and I, you know, people are like, oh, food prices have gone up. And I'm like, just wait. And people are just blind to it. Nobody's really paying attention to it. What about political turnover and strife? Guys, when food and grain and the cost of getting, driving your car to work become a problem in this environment, in this culture, if you don't think increased social unrest is coming, I don't know what to tell you. You'll also see greater rates of political turnover, political upheaval, which does what? It disrupts supply chains even more, disrupts transportation of oil and goods around the world, puts even more north pressure on it. You're going to see nationalization of commodities. Why is that a problem? Because every time governments nationalize stuff, they run it into the ground, which means you're going to have more push and more destruction of supply. Right? We've got to pay attention to the second, third order effects as well. And then the other thing, too, is I would also expect this to result in a slowdown of innovation. Why? Because most likely... Capital is going to flow too hard into this stuff because it has ignored it for way too long. It's got to play catch up, right? That money's got to come from somewhere. So, you know, I think we're going into a segment of time, guys, where it is going to be costly. It isn't going to be a whole lot of fun, especially if you're not prepared for it. But also, I think it'd probably take 15 to 20 years for us to get our hands around the impact of all this. We may not know. You know, you see shifts like this, guy. Look what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. You see shifts like this, guys, in economies and in, in, in systems like ours. Typically, you get to the end of it and countries' names have changed. Political regimes have shifted. Alliances have been broken. New ones forged. I don't think people really appreciate the gravity of what we're going into. And I certainly know that the financial advisory industry doesn't either. And if you're waking up to that fact, 
I mean, do we do this to get business? Yes. But if you're waking up to that fact, for God's sakes, you guys, there's a lifeline here. Give us a call. Figure out how to not only survive this stuff, but benefit from it. And it's not a secret. It's proper portfolio construction and overweighting things that are grotesquely underinvested in. And not only can we survive this scenario, we can profit wildly off it. Go look at some of the investors' track records during the 70s, like Jim Rogers, Rick Rule. You, you don't have, we don't have to sit there and take it. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK, and 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. Download and subscribe to the podcast. We will be back next week. We're going to start our deep dive into each one of these topics one by one and lay out the groundwork for it so you guys have a full understanding of A, what's coming, but B, how to start protecting ourselves from it. And as always, guys, don't call us after the fact anticipate the pain, don't have to realize it. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Have a wonderful weekend, and uh, take care of yourselves out there. I'm excited to see what happens in markets this week. I expect some fireworks. But until next week, you're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at knowyourriskradio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management. Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now? Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. With all this money printing and with still 0% interest rates, inflation will very likely rise, and when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been telling people for six years, if you're using bonds in the old-school 60-40 mix as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy we teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet common sense investing learn how to protect your portfolio against loss but still seek to grow your assets call zach now for your free copy of common sense investing 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement bulwark capital management is an investment advisor representative of trek financial llc and sec registered investment advisor